Welcome to the Reality Revolution. This is Brian Scott, and it's another wonderful day on the podcast. We have one of my very, very favorite guests, Paul Selig, and I have just got a chance to read his and the guide's most recent book, Resurrection, and this book is a game changer in the ouvoir, as we call it now, of all of Paul's books. This one really takes everything as, of course, to another octave, to another level, and I, I found it very transformative. It, it was answering every single question I had. In fact, many of the questions I asked Paul last time were answered in this amazing book. Okay. Uh, so I just wanted to thank Paul for coming on and give me a chance to talk with him and the guides about it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, it's uh, I got I kept on getting the, this uh, vision in my head as I was reading the book of, you know, I, I could see people building a, a swimming pool, kind of making the foundation of the pool. And and mm -hmm. then and then they, they they put the cement in and then they put the water in. I felt like I had a foundation had been laid in my soul, essentially. All mm -hmm. those other books were just sort of the groundwork yeah. that set everything up. And this is where we start to go some very elevated, higher level teachings. And mm -hmm. so I'm so happy to be able to ask you and the guides about them. What was your first? I know that you they that it's entirely separate from you, but I'd love to get your first of all opinion about this new book in relation to the others and and what your opinion of it was. I you know I don't you know because I channel so much and I there have been so many teachings yeah. coming through in a consecutive way. I kind of lose track on when they were teaching what because they're already almost two thirds of the way through the next book. So I'm, I'm right. sort of managing this. My experience of this book of resurrection was that they were laying a foundation, much as you said, for holding a level of consciousness that they call the upper room that's available to us. And it felt strangely new, all of it mm -hmm. to me, um, in a way that was Surprising, you know, I don't, when I'm dictating the books, I, I retain maybe a third of a lecture, you know, and they're all done publicly. They're all done in front of people and there's no editing involved. So I don't go back and change anything. And the proofreading that I did was really minimal this time because I had a superlative person, Joan Kramer, listening to the recordings and then going over all of the transcripts two or three times to make sure that they were succinct. The first time that I really experienced the book is when I'm recording the audio book and then I have to sit down with it and read it through. And I was, I was surprised by it, but at the same time, not surprised because in a lot of ways, I think what the guides are now delivering is what has been promised by them since the very beginning, which is a realization of who and what we are in form and manifestation that they say that claims a new world into being. So that's really the teaching. And, and I would say that that's the, the number one word that comes to mind is new. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of the chapters talk about this new, new way, a new yeah. life, a new. Uh, and so that's what I found so powerful. And they, um, they even describe what I think is going to be new and, and tell me, no, that's not what they're, they're literally talking to me as I'm thinking, as they're mm -hmm. discussing something. It's a, this little portion of my mind. And I find that fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I I have done a lot of episodes on my podcast and mm -hmm. um, have always been fascinated with the new earth and the shift into this new world. And 
there's some of this language is coming through and talking about an entirely new way of thinking and understand. And, and that's what I found. This is the book where the transformation really starts to begin in, in, in our lives, in our souls, on so many different levels and planes. We've had this whole foundation set up to this point. And now we start to see this new way. And, and, they, and they really bring that to light in this book. Oh, I'm glad you're getting it because that, that is what they're doing and that is the intention. And I mean, they're taking it even farther in what they're now delivering through me, which is really on the same premise. The claim, you know, a lot of the books have energetic attunements or what they call claims of truth that they say work with vibration and energy and sort of matter. And the one in this book, again, is Behold, I Make All Things New, which they say is the claim of the divine self upon everything that it sees. And its purpose is to lift everything to itself, to its true nature. So when they talk about a world made new, they're actually talking, I think, not about a world that's improved. They're talking about a world that really is reclaimed and reseen in a higher higher way of being. You know, they've said for years that, you know, because we've had war for so long, we anticipate war and we're going to keep claiming it because we expect it to be there. And they've said, until you can hold a consciousness where war doesn't exist, you're going to keep claiming it. And that's pretty much what's happening now. And when they're really working with this stuff, they start working with the idea of reclaiming history, reclaiming memory, because all of our experience, they say, has been forged through the lens of separation Mm -hmm. or fear. Like everything that we've known and remember is still tinted with that because that's how we've known ourselves. And they say, well, that's not really true. So until these things are reclaimed or renown in a higher way, we're going to keep perpetuating what we've known. So I think I, I don't read other people's stuff. You know, I, yeah. I have to confess it. I just don't because it keeps it clean for me. So I don't know what other people talk about uh, a new earth. Um, when the guides are talking about it, they're talking about a transposition of vibration. They say we're operating in an octave, which is a common field. And every octave, they say, has high and low notes. And what they're doing with us is supporting our, our, you know, being able to play or sing or experience ourselves in the octave above, which is transposing the ideas that we've held into what is always true and what exists in the higher. And all of this stuff is strangely practical and applicable, which I actually like about it. You know, you can feel it. I mean, the energy is very present in the books. Um, But you know what they're saying, none of it's convenient. None of it's like what I want to hear because I just want my life to feel a little better. I want to be a little happier, you know, and all those things. But they're talking about reclamation of the divine, which in the divine being, the aspect of source that is us, that's been denied by us. And they say that in fact is all things because you don't get to cherry pick what's divine. You know, it's all things or it can't be anything. They say there is one note played in the entire universe that is in manifestation is all things. All things are iterations or articulations is the word they use of that one note sung. So they're just lifting us up the octave to where things are made new 
and we're no longer claiming all this crap and separation that's the cause of all our pain. Yeah, I really felt like when I was uh, reading it, one, one common theme that I, I wanted to explore more with you and the guides is mm -hmm. the field. The word field is used often. And we yeah. even get an idea that the body is translucent. I get a, a subtle guiding in my own understanding of who I am that it really moves me beyond my body mm -hmm. to an understanding that who I am is not in this body, but it's a field. And I'd like to get more of an understanding of what this is. There a place where my personal field ends? Am I the field of everything? I'd love mm -hmm. to know what the guides would say in guiding me and understanding when they use the word field. Well, I don't know that I'm going to channel on your show. Sometimes oh, that's, that's that fine. happens. And so what you're going to get instead is my best understanding of yeah. something, which isn't always so great. <laughs> so they use field in different ways. Primarily, they'll talk about the field of the individual, which is the, the consciousness of the individual, which is not limited. Mm -hmm. But they'll talk about this as the wave is of the sea. The wave may know itself in a distinct form, in a distinct way, but it's never not of the whole. Our problem is we've misidentified who we are with the, the personality. So I think I'm who I think I am, as opposed to who I can only be in truth. They also talk about the field as the common field or the shared field. And that's the octave of, of experience. So, you know, there are people that say, well, you create your own reality, you create everything. And my guides actually say, well, you're participatory to everything that you can see, think of, and experience because you're in co-resonance with it. So we're all in co-resonance with this field that we know. So when they first started teaching this, which was a few books ago, I was like, so does that mean if there's a book on a table in Paris, I'm, I'm in accord vibrationally with a book on the table in Paris? They said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you are, as a matter of fact. So you didn't create the war in the middle of the Middle East, but you're in alignment to it because you're holding it in consciousness, which means that you're informing it. And they talk about thought being creative at this level in very, very simple terms. They say, what you damn damns you back, which is a teaching of vibrational accord, not religion. What you put in darkness, who you put in darkness, calls you to that darkness because we're operating in this shared construct. They also say who you bless and what you bless blesses you in return. And people, I think, mistakenly believe that to bless something is to condone it or to make it okay or to, I don't know, it's not none of those things. They say that to bless something is to realize the presence of the divine where it has been denied, to claim the presence of source where it has been lacking. And that's how things are reclaimed or moved to a higher, higher template. So they talk about field as individual. They also talk about field as collective. And they also talk about what they, the upper room as another level of tone or field, another octave. And so they teach the upper room in this book, and they're beginning to teach how to navigate it. And they say, you know, what we know of as the upper room is really just the beginning of that octave. They talk about Christ consciousness and they say that's what it is. And they say that's the higher level, that's the highest level that we can hold while still in form. Now they do a lot of work with form. So it's not that the field is God and the body isn't. They say, well, the body is also an expression of source because how could it not be? 
And if I deny the divine in my own body, which I've done mostly a good job doing in my life, I'm also going to deny the divine in the tree, in the ocean, and all those things. Because we can't, again, cherry-pick what's holy. They say all is holy or nothing is. Right. So an another element I uh, would love to get better clarification of is what is divine? We, we, the, the, the key teaching uh, that I can recite is that God is, God is, God is. That mm -hmm. I yeah. felt that and it continues to grow. The moment I read the book, the moment I've started to intone that, it has so much to it. Such mm -hmm. a simple thing and that's what makes it powerful. But the divine, is it separate from God? When they use the word divine, is it just an interchangeable word with God? I get yes. Or source as as divine, all they're saying all things as divine, because what you put outside of God, you exclude from God. You exclude from God when you tie to it, and then you tie to it through fear or negativity, through fear or negativity. So the so idea of fear is divine. They, this is what they say about fear. They say because I asked it because I was like, well, what about? Yeah. Fear? And they said, well, you know, fear is of God, but it denies it. That's all. It just denies it. So fear's, fear's job seems to be to replicate itself at the level of vibration that it operates as. They say, you know, fear actually isn't wise. They say fear doesn't transcend as itself, but it can be reclaimed. So they've said again and again, the action of fear is to claim more fear. Every choice one makes or we all make in fear gets us more and more of the same. And they've said a million times, you know, fear and prudence are two different things. Discernment is not fear. You know, discernment would be, because I live on Maui and there are beaches and occasionally sharks. And if the sign says, no swimming sharks, best to stay out of the water. I'm not scared. I just don't want to get eaten up. Right. So, yeah, they say fear is of God. One of the teachings that helped me with this because people always say, well, what about this? And what about that? These things can't be of God, you know? And, you know, they can be an expression of the denial of the divine, which is the cause of war and poverty and violence and all this stuff. So they've said you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil, which means you've aligned to that human being at that level of consciousness. Again, what you put in darkness or who you put in darkness vibrationally aligns you in accord with that thing. The only way to transform a situation, a world, is to lift to the higher and then bring that to you there. And you can't do that at the low level of consciousness. It's why the idea of fighting evil is strange because you're ending up aligning to it, but you can transform that idea or those actions in a higher way by, they say, claiming the active presence of the divine upon them. I mean, we're the ones that limit this, you know, well, God can't fix this one or whatever you want to call God. That's one of the words they use or source. Um, or the one note song. I mean, they call it all these things, but it's, it's the most challenging teaching. It's not an, it's not a new teaching. It's mm -hmm. mysticism. Finally is what it is. It's not self-help. And consequently it's not convenient because I want to be told that I can eat whatever the hell I want and not gain weight. And it's never worked. <laughs> it's never, it's never, never worked. It's true. No. <laughs> um, the, I wanted to to go over uh, live some a way of I've, I've applied the teaching of the guides, 
And I felt like in this moment, I'd love to to talk to someone that knows more. For instance, I had somebody that came to me and Mm -hmm. they desperately wanted to change their own addictions and habits. Mm -hmm. And they were struggling with this. They had gone through um, a pattern what what I could seemingly feel like uh, re, they would always react from a place, a trauma that had happened as as a child, deep, mm-hmm. deep traumas that had been built up over a long period of time so that mm-hmm. they became angry and violent, mm-hmm. and, you know, almost instantaneously. Uh, and they and they were constantly attracting angry and violent people oh. into their life. And so as I as I. I in, in the past, I would try to teach them or give them techniques, but I, I started to think that the guides want me to, to hold and, and and I'm I'm in vibrational agreement with those problems that he has, these reactions and these habits and, and, and addictions, behaviors. And so I, I try to see that in myself. I try to figure out a way, how can I help somebody to reprogram that? Do I, if they continue down that path where they're addicted or struggling, I can simply see the divinity in them but if they never change, is that that small self of that person choosing to continue to go on these lessons? Uh, is there something because uh, I don't I, I, I the, the the beautiful paradox, the learning nature of this teaching for me personally is uh, n- not trying to change somebody, yeah. but it's trying to hold them in that higher octave. And, I, yeah. and I'm learning the nuances of this. And it's not an easy teaching, as you've described, for me to see this thing in myself. And how do I break the agreement with that condition so that I can raise them into that upper room? I don't, I, do you understand oh, what I'm trying to get it's at? It's about trying to fix anybody. I don't think this teaching yeah. works that way or improve. Yeah. I'm, you know, I've been sober for 35 years. And had I not gone on that journey, I wouldn't be on the one that I'm on now. And I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. And it took it, and it took all of the pain of not doing that, which lasted for a long time, to come to another awareness of myself. The guides speak in the book about trauma very directly, actually, I think in Resurrection more than other books, Mm -hmm. um, and reclaiming what has been held in shadow, the aspects of ourselves that are held in darkness, keep us in the darkness. So it's the idea of bringing these things to the light. There are many ways that people do that. Therapy can do that. 12-step programs can do that. This work, I believe, can do that too. But I don't know that this works by saying I am word through somebody's addiction, which is one of, you know, because if you can do that and you're bringing the presence of the divine upon it, but you're not deciding that they're going to stop using drugs by next Tuesday because that's your personality self trying to exert. So the claim, the simple claims that they offer, I know who you are in truth. I know what you are in truth. I know how you serve in truth. You're claiming the inherent divine in the one before you who they are, which is their true identity, what they are, which is the manifestation of source or the divine, and how they serve as being how they express. How they show up for that kind of isn't my business or your business to understand they, they do have their paths. And I don't know why one person comes in with the soul lesson. You know, the guides I work with have said things like, Well, you look at the beggar in the street and the king in the castle and you think the king's the one that's better. You don't know what these people came to learn, but they're both learning about abundance in completely different ways. 
there are lessons to be learned in all experiences. We're the ones that elevate them and say this is good and this is not good. So I have a practice as a psychic. I channel some in that practice. Mm -hmm. But very what I do is I hear people. I tune into people and I hear them in a higher way, often in a higher way, or sometimes I just hear the personality self. So if, I, if I'm working with somebody and I ask them at a higher level why they're not stopping a behavior that's destructive, I'm probably going to hear something. It may not be what they want to hear. And some of it's just about their attachment to the behavior. Or I'm going to make everybody angry at me because that's how I know I'm loved, which is a reason people do things. And then you can work with that stuff or they can work with that stuff. But it's not for me to judge that stuff, because if I do, I mean, who the hell am I? You know, I show up for this work as best I can. That's the best that I can do. And I have a skill set that is utilized in service to others, hopefully for the better. That's all I can do. But when the guides talk about working with the energy, they're talking about reclaiming the divine as who and what you see. And that must mean excluding nothing. And you can't do that if you're judging it or making it bad or fearing it. You can't bring it to source if you're damning it. Exactly. So this book, I think, goes into further detail and helping me to understand service. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the guides have always said, I know how you serve. Yeah. Uh, but now uh, there's a really a very beautiful interpersonal discussion of what we think service means and and mm -hmm. what we really want and the small self's discussion of service yeah. i i found that to in, in all the discussions of service i found this to be very helpful in my understanding of what service really is i'm glad you know when the guides first brought that attunement through i know who i am what i am how i serve which was 10 years ago or something in my apartment when I was doing this small group, we all sort of understood I knew I know who I am. Like we got that. I know what I am. We didn't get. I know how I serve. We completely missed the right. boat. Yeah. I was like, I know what I am. Well, I'm Paul. I'm a middle-aged man. I live in New York. That's not what they were talking about at all. I know what I am as the manifestation of the divine, which is actually as a reclamation of form so that it can begin to express at a higher level. I know how I serve is that expression. They say how one serves is how one is most fully expressed or realized as the true self. People wanted to think it means I get to go be a Reiki master, or open a yoga studio, or I get to do something. And this doesn't exclude doing something, but it isn't that. You know, I know how I serve is how you're fully expressed as what they call the monad or the divine self or the Christ within, the, the God within expressing. And they say it is the action of the God within expressing that makes a world new. We're not doing this by fixing things. It's not redecorating. It's not spiritual bypassing. It's not whitewashing. It's reclamation. It's bringing the light where it's been denied. And there's an alchemical act that occurs when this happens, which I understand is experiential and I have experienced it. So I, I can vouch for it at that level. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can be, we are serving when we are in that divine mindset, when we see the divine around us and we're in that upper room, we're mm -hmm. serving just well, by yes. our being. By, by presence and being. And that's actually what they're teaching these days. It's one of the big themes in the book they're dictating now is presence and being. 
But also, if you move to that level, you begin to operate from your knowing, which means you're not trying to figure it out. You're basically living in awareness of what's required of you. So that doesn't mean I'm going to sit on a mountain and meditate and make the world new. Somebody may be doing that. Somebody else may be running outside to put out the fire in the neighbor's house. If that's what you're called to do, it's not necessarily a teaching of passivity. So your divine self knows, it knows who it is, it knows what it is, it knows how it serves. My personality self still thinks I'm here to, I don't know, get this, figure that out, be happy in this situation where I haven't been. And those are all fine things. Mm -hmm. But the true self knows the small self, which is just the personality structure. There's nothing wrong with it. The small self thinks. And there's nothing wrong with thinking. We all do it. But thinking and knowing are very different. When you begin to operate from your knowing, according to the guides, you begin to operate in an aligned will. Your will aligns to the higher will. The interesting thing about knowing and true knowing is they say there is no fear in that knowing. And if you look at your own life and a time when you really knew something, even if it was like crappy news, like I knew the diagnosis was bad or I knew she wasn't going to live or there's no fear in knowing in that moment of knowing. There's usually fear in what happens next and what we move in through our own expectation and our own outlines of what could be. And so when you're moving in knowing and you're operating in knowing, you're claiming experience in a very different way. And that may well be part of how one expresses and serves. But the simplest understanding is the divine self is the truth of who you are. Everything else is an interesting idea. And we learn through those ideas. There's nothing wrong with them. And how you express as that is how you serve. And I don't know, you know, people sometimes say, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how I serve. Should I be a this? Should I be a that? I, you know, I don't know that it matters, mm-hmm. truthfully. I mean, some, you know, I used to, you know, when I was first opening up spiritually, and I, this was ni- in the early, late 1980s, I was 25. I was coming out of a really hard, hard place. Mm-hmm. And I was beginning to teach, and I was going off to schools in the, in, in the hardest hit neighborhoods in Manhattan and the Bronx to teach. The people that I met that were the most evolved of anybody I probably ever met in my life were like these vice principals in these bombed out schools that loved those kids and were there because it's what they were there to do and they knew it. They knew it and there was no BS and there were no crystals and there was no namaste. They were just doing their stuff because they needed to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was so humbled by that, I have to tell you. It really floored me. Um, and I ended up becoming a teacher, really, in some ways, in reaction to that, because I was like, whoa, this isn't about me. This is about other people. You know, this isn't what I thought it was. So how one serves is how one, I think, gives oneself to whatever that experience may be without outlining what it's supposed to look like. And I think the problem with that is everybody outlines what it's supposed to look like based on what somebody else is doing or has. Mm-hmm. Like we're creating out of some historical catalog of what it means to be successful or happy or beautiful. And we end up replicating all those problems. The guides used to say, and still do, I guess, 
I say it now more when I quote them, there's nothing wrong with a house on the hill, somebody gets to live there, but why do you want it? And if you want it to be the envy of your neighbors, you're creating in fear. If it's gonna make you happy, that's fine. If you have use for it, that's fine. Yeah. What you say resonates with me so much. It brings me back to my mom, who's a fourth grade teacher. And, and, right. and I would go and hang out with all the teachers in the teacher's lounge. And these were people that weren't there to make money. These were people there that really cared about these kids. And if they had a class of 50 kids, they were going to do everything they can to give their best um, work for these kids. It, you know, And so that is truly um, that point. You're, there's no namaste. They're not sitting around meditating. It's purely just that intention that pure intention that they have so yeah, yeah absolutely so you know, teaching is an act of love that's what i think and right many wonderful teachers in the world there is so um this is really the first book where we get a discussion beyond just the small self and the larger self but the plurality is a yeah. word that they use they talk about this uh, so and they and they do use the word evolution um, they don't go, they don't beat us over the head with it, but they start, they're starting to hint at what yeah. I see as possibly later lessons uh, where we're seeing and understanding how this plurality affects reality and our, and our, and our, and our part in it. If that Absolutely. makes sense. That's exactly where they're going in the work more and more. So the book they're doing now is really, it's the next step up from this. They're, they're not. You know, if somebody were to tell me this is the stuff that was going to be coming through me five years <laughs> ago, I would have gone, oh, brother, this is just, I'm still going, oh, brother, some days. Right. I can imagine. But at this point, I can't really deny it. You know, I, mm -hmm. and I always go to this one, you know, I don't care how eloquent I might be. I'm not capable of sitting in a chair and closing my eyes and dictating now like 11 books that don't require any editing. It's nuts, it's you know, it's but what they're doing, what they're talking about really is the collective mm -hmm. and moving beyond this idea of separation. Um, and that's, you know, you still maintain sovereignty, but sovereignty, they, you know, we think sovereignty is I choose what I'm going to do. Sovereignty, they speak about that as the realization of the divine, which is sovereign. The divine self is sovereign. It doesn't operate in fear. It can't be controlled. It will never die. It is. It is sovereign. It knows itself as such. And so its expression seems to be the key to all of this. But this is done for all. You don't just do it for yourself. Again, they say you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. So, you know, anybody that's walking around saying, well, I'm enlightened and they're not, I'm suspect of. Probably the people that are aren't going around announcing it. They just are. They don't have to announce it. And the people that, you know, I think are in service are probably doing it mostly. I mean, I think some people choose to become visible in their work, but for the most part, it's done because it's how somebody expresses and it's who and what they are. And it's how they show up fully in the world. And this is done again for the whole. So the guides, yes, are teaching to the whole now, but it's, it's wild stuff because they've said, and I'll say this here, I guess, yes, they're saying, yes, say it. <laughs> I mean, they've said basically that it's going to be four generations for this new manifest world to begin to take hold 
takes that long, they say. It's not that long if you think about it. Maybe no, four. Not at all. But they said it's four generations, and this is the beginning. And the changes that we're seeing now are the beginning of, of even more changes. And it's um, enormous change, they say. It's the re-knowing of structures and everything that we thought should be there all the time or would expect to be there. But these things are going to be re-known in a new way. And I hear that it's productive and positive, just not comfortable and not necessarily terribly graceful. You know, as a as a sci-fi fan, somebody who's contemplated this, a mm -hmm. comic book fan, what does it mean for us to be in a plurality that is divine as individual beings sharing a field? And, you know, you know, you could always look at Star Trek and say it's the Borg or you could say uh, it's uh, each individual is connected to this thing that's that still individualized. But the more I read this book, I got a different impression that it was mm -hmm. it's just you naturally align to this whole and there and, and it just ends up being a plurality naturally without force yeah. or anything. It just becomes that's what it is, right? You know, I mean, I think. I don't know. I don't know how it feels or what it looks like. I know how they talk about it. I think you're still you. I'm still me. But we're operating without this idea of self as separate, which they say is an idea that's become entrenched with a lot of evidence, which it's accrued primarily with a basis in fear. And a lot of this stuff comes with this belief that there's not going to be enough, or you got to get there first, or you got to kill this one to get what they have, or that country to stop them or get them to, whatever this stuff is. When we stop operating quite in that way, then what happens? I mean, I suspect it's easy stuff. It goes back to a simple idea like because all men, and by using the mask, I'm just quoting, because all men are brothers or all men and women are brothers and sisters, finally. Or I am, you know, how, you, how the least of the group is treated impacts the whole. Mm -hmm. We treat each other like absolute shit for the most part, if you look around. Yeah, exactly. We want vengeance, we want revenge, we, and we all want to be right at the cost of somebody else being wrong. And I don't know that that's how we're ever going to find peace. And I think what allows for that is a shift in consciousness. I don't know if it's about trying to be a little better or not opening my big mouth when I have an opinion that's going to insult people. I mean, maybe that's a prudent thing to do. But as long as I'm still denying the divine in others, I've got my own work to do. And it is my own work. Nobody can do that work for me. You know, and it's, you know, back in my old 12-step days, and I was really lost. And I was also the most unlikely candidate for a spiritual life of anybody I'd known. I mean, I was a, you know an ex yaley with platinum blonde hair and I'm not a penny to his name. And I was, you know, raised an atheist. But somebody used to say, ah, just look for the good or the God in everyone. Mm -hmm. Such a simple, simple, simple thing to do, but it actually changes everything. And that's not a lot different than claiming the inherent divine in the one before you, even when you don't agree with him or her. Well, it, you know, it's interesting because as I've been taught, I start to see the world as this holographic mirror mm -hmm. uh, of myself. And, and that's when it becomes obvious. Um, and if the whole world could just see that what they're looking at is just a, a reflection, 
of, of what they have been thinking and living all this time, yeah. but it's still so subtle. It's, it's, it, it's illusory in some cases. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful learning experience to be in this octave at least. Um, but that, that, that's that one teaching that I wish that, that it, that would really move us into that divine oneness is if we started to realize everything is a reflection of, of ourselves. Oh, I, th I agree with you, but I also think that there is collective consciousness. Right. And maybe I'm off on this because, mm -hmm. you know, some people say you're like, why did you, you have cancer? Why did you create it? And I go, well, they moved to a neighborhood where the company next door was dumping chemicals in the water and they drank the damn water. So, yes, mm -hmm. they're in accord vibrational accord with a world that supports people dumping chemicals in water and letting people drink it. You did that person claim this experience because I, I don't know that. Yeah. I'm sure there's karmic choice and all of that. I don't know. I mean, the guides say something very hard. They say you can't be <coughs> a victim and a master at the same time. And that doesn't mean that crappy things don't happen and people aren't being victimized. They're talking about claiming an identity is something. The idea that we're all contributing to this world through our consciousness and we inherit structures, which is what the guides are saying. Basically, you and I were born into a world where fear was prevalent. And they say it's kind of like being born into a minefield. Fear is there, you're always avoiding the next disaster, the next war, the next abandonment, whatever it is that we're doing. So this is what we're born into, and consequently, we expect it. And because we expect it, we replicate it and we reinforce it because we think it's always been there. This is the stuff the guides are taking on now mm -hmm. because it doesn't change if we're there. It's, they say it's kind of like, you know, and I, I hate to use this metaphor and I use it, but it's a bad one. But it's like, you know, you're jumping into the pool that somebody already peed in and you don't know it. <laughs> and that's like being born into this field where all of the historical data has been decided on through separation, through war, through fear, all those things. And so if we lift to another vantage point, to a higher vantage point, what do we see? What might we experience and how might we claim a world into being? Well, I, I know that you uh, have some other events coming up and I, and I, and, and, and it's always such a joy to speak with you. And, and I wanted to, you know, please come on for the next book. Maybe next time I'll set aside a little more time or, or the link will work. Um, but I just, uh, I want to thank the guides for taking me gently along this path for all this time. I appreciate that because I want to run right into it. Mm -hmm. If I, I want to run right into the fire and, and, and learn everything about the fire while I get burnt. But the, the guides have have done this amazing thing of slowly taking me along at the perfect pace in energetic attunement. And when I say that, people don't understand what I'm saying, but it really feels like I've been gently placed in a pool of water yeah. and it's slowly been rising and everything, yeah. you know, it's 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 the perfect way to be aligned energetically um, is to go through these books sequentially. It's amazing. It it, yeah. it really is. It's breathtaking to go back to that first book and to uh, to realize what was about to be taught in all those other books when you listen to, when i listen to you do the first book it's it's amazing and that first book is so um profound you know i am word and you start to think that and that becomes a part of your life 
to think about all the stuff we've had since then. Wow, I'm I'm speechless. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff I know, and thank you for that. I mean, that that is how they teach. They teach. They say they teach at the level that we can hold it. We can't hold more than we can maintain, you know. So right. they say, you know, they don't bring us into a bright room too quickly because you'll go blind or mad. You know, they yeah, lead yeah. us in at the level that we can become accustomed to the light. And I, 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 I'm grateful for that myself. I also want to thank the guides. I just recently turned 50. And I remembered on that on my birthday, the guides had called me a young man. And so, you know, I was like, hey, the guide said I'm a young man. 50 is young, right? <laughs> and that's the classic example of their teaching. They held me as the young man in the upper room. And I could feel the effects of that since they said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I want to thank you and uh, welcome to the Reality Revolution, Paul. Thank you for having me. Always good to talk.